if you could say, my name's Julian Watts, you're listening to Searching for Shinies, and we'll clip that and put it at the start of the show, is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Away you go. Do you want me to do that now? Yes, please. What is it, super shiny? <laughs> Searching for shinies. I don't, I don't want to get this wrong, although it sounds like yeah. I already have. <laughs> that's it. Oh, sh- we'll cut that in. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's going to make it, to be honest. Yeah, that's yeah, going to be yeah, the yeah. start. So the start's so done. It's just, it's just the shinies. Searching for shinies. Searching for shinies. No problem. My name's Julian Watts, and I'm on Searching for Shinies. <laughs> can you say, can you say, <laughs> can you say, you are listening to Searching for Shinies? Uh, sorry, yeah. Uh, my name's Julian Watts, and you are listening to Super... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I can't get That'll the word do. super out of me. No, I can't get the word super out of me. Yeah. So, I'll, I'll have one more go. I'll have one more go. Uh, my name's Julian Watts, and you're listening to Searching for Shinies. Yes. <laughs> Got that. Brilliant. Oh, we all, won't use that. We'll be using the Welcome to Searching for Shinies, the football sticker boot podcast with me, Ketch, and him, Richie Wyatt. We are back with episode two of series two, and we have a rare find. So rare, I can't even remember the player. But, Richie, credit where credit's due, you've actually contributed to the show by finding a player. So thank you for that. Julian Watts. I think I think Julian's the nicest player we've spoken to so far, and it's a really high bar on this show. Steve Chettle, first ever interview we did he was amazingly nice guy lee dixon neil sullivan keith gillespie terry Phelan, all incredibly sound guys I'll, I'll take issue with a few things you've said there first of all it's not the only way i contribute to the show thank you secondly you've left <laughs> you've left out some big names a la craig kignett um thirdly you, you can't remember him that's disgraceful come, Can you remember? come on everyone remembers um Jude. can you remember julian <laughs> Who? <laughs> everyone, Watsy. Everyone, rem- to, to, to find Watsy, um, to give listeners a bit of a yeah. taste, I had to venture into. How did you find well, a player we didn't know about? <laughs> well, so he's named in the book, so that helps. But um, I had to venture into deepest, darkest social media, the, the depths of Twitter, to find a rarely used account. So, no certified blue tick, which is fairly commonplace with 90s players, no mass following of fans. Uh, but enough subtly 90s ex-pro style signals that suggested it would be worth a message. Um, it didn't work with Radachoyu. I got that one totally wrong. He wasn't an actual professional footballer, but this one was. And to be fair, when looking at Julian's account, it was almost exclusively chat about drinking Guinness with his buddies, um, which was enough for me to go on. So we got there. Here he is. He's we, we, we've, we've signed him up. He's on the show. Yes, thank you, Julian, for not being famous enough to come on the show. That's what we need. We need <laughs> less famous players, and they agree to, to join us. He's a lovely, lovely man, though. Starts off quietly, but really does warm up, and it embraces the spirit of Searching for Shane. He's lots of stories about heavy drinking, which we encourage. <laughs> the, story, the, sto- the stories. We encourage the stories. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And, not the uh, acts. <laughs> listener, do keep an ear out for my impression of Andy Gray. Um, and his commentary when Newcastle beat Leicester 4-3 in mm. uh, 1997, having been 3-1 down. And, and and check out my evil laugh when Julian says the name Pontus Carmark, at which mm. point, Richie, I saw you visibly wincing 
on the yes. Zoom call. Uh, it was quite nice, actually, that uh, Julian's career touched a lot of Newcastle and, and Borough, which was cool. So we pressed him on that. And he had, you know, loads of stories about drinking and gambling, which was, mm. which was fun. Yeah, we, we, we a theme that was established quite early on in the podcast is summarised quite nicely with the following quote, which I found on the Leicester website from Watsi. It says, we socialised a lot more than we should have done and definitely more than you get away with nowadays. We'd come back on the bus with Oasis blasting out, drinking beers and then going to Leicester to drink more beers. We were such a tight unit. When you've got that relationship with your teammates, you try harder for them. I mean, that's exactly what you want to hear, isn't it, from a guest? Mm. That's what you want. Yeah. I mean, so there you go. Modern football managers, more oasis, more beers, mm. more nightclubs. Mm. That's the winning formula. Mm. Great to get Watsy, but we still need players, listeners. We we especially need players from the following clubs that I'm going to read out now because we want to ensure each club has a representative on Searching for Shiny. So, Aston Villa, Blackburn, Coventry, Everton, Liverpool, Man United. We do not have players from those clubs, so please, we need to hear from fans of those clubs with connections for the, for their players that were in the 1997 book. We are putting a lot of groundwork in to try and get guests for you. Um, here's a, a quick pricey of, of where we're at and who we've tried. Robbie Fowler, we got his email off Bridgie. No reply to the email. Dave Watson, I got his phone number. I had a reply. This isn't Dave Watson's number. <laughs> David May said he doesn't want to do it. Fair enough. Andy Townsend in March said he would do it in the new season. We're in the new season. I've sent two unsolicited emails and I've had no reply. It's heartbreaking. Mm. Tim Flowers got his number, sent him an SMS. He oh, wasn't on WhatsApp. Expensive. No reply. Jason Wilcox sent him a WhatsApp. He read it. Two blue ticks. No reply. Exactly the same for Brian Dean, Marco Gabbiadini, John Beresford. Read my WhatsApp. No reply. Dion Dublin got his email, sent an email. No reply. Mark Hottiger, Andre Kinchelskis, Phil Babb, Stinging If You Want To Be... Gary Mabbitt, Stuart Nethercott, I've invited you all to connect with me on LinkedIn. None of you have accepted. <laughs> Frankly, They're listening. rude. One person who has accepted is David Howells. Connected with David on LinkedIn, messaged him, no reply. <sighs> we move on. David James got his number, WhatsApped, no reply. Ronnie Johnson got his number, WhatsApped, replied, <gasps> this isn't Ronnie's number anymore. <sighs> Andy Cole, I emailed his wife, Well, Shirley. that's bang out of order. <laughs> No reply. Jason Dizel contacted him, formally approached, said he doesn't want to do it. Mm. Fair enough. Mm. Paul Bracewell, WhatsApped, no reply. Last one for this, this episode. Ray Parler, WhatsApped him. He replied. He said, hi, Matt. Turning down podcasts every week, mate, exclamation mark. Me and Alan was going to do one ourselves, so probably leave it, pal. Thanks for asking, Ray. I'm assuming that's Alan Brazil. So look forward to a Ray Parler Alan Brazil podcast coming to a podcast platform near you. He doesn't want to do ours. Too many offers. So that's where we're at. Lots of rejection to handle here. Um, you know, I thought it'd be all fun and games this podcast, but just getting rejected by your heroes time and time again is painful. But at least we have our producer, Joel, who's heavily connected in the football industry. His name dropped Shaka Hislop. His name dropped Chris Sutton. He's like, yeah, Chris, he'll definitely do it. Yes, yeah, we're best pals. Nothing back. Nothing back from Joel, if you're listening, which you won't be, knowing Joel. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, yes, we need a final few stickers to cover every club in the book. So, listeners, please help. We do have Leicester, though. we got the man, mm. the legend, Julian Watts, one of my favourite episodes. Here he comes. 
Joining us today is a player involved in one of the cult teams of the mid-1990s. He set up one of the most famous goals scored at Wembley in the 90s that saw Steve Claridge's shin send Leicester back into the promised land of the Premier League. And he played a big role in their first season back in the top flight, during which they finished ninth and defeated Middlesbrough in the League Cup final at the second time of asking. It's an honour to extend a big shiny welcome to Leicester's Julian Watts. Julian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, guys. So we like to start our shows with all the players uh, by asking if you can possibly name the other players that share the page in the 1997 sticker book with you. You are one of 16 Leicester players in the 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker book. How many right. others can you answer, do you think? Um, 97, it's, it's a bit difficult on people coming in and going out, but there would have been Kevin Poole, Steve Walsh, Mickey Whitlow. So Poole, Poole, Poole isn't in. That's, isn't... that's one. It's, there's one keeper. Yeah, uh, Casey Keller. Yes, yeah. yeah. Not um, everyone has a sticker, it's worth right. Steve Walsh. <laughs> I didn't know that. So there'll be Steve Walsh. Yes. Um, I think, obviously, Muzzy, is it? Neil Lennon. Yep. Um, I think Simon Grayson hadn't left at that point, so he would still be there. Correct. Um, Emil Esky. I'm not sure if we'd signed Matt Elliott by that point, uh, or Robbie Savage. Not uh, they yet. Might have they didn't come, have stickers. A bit later. <laughs> Um, who else was there? Spencer, Spencer Pryor. Yes, that's eight you've got. Yeah, Mike, Mike Whitlow. Have I said that? Yeah, is he there? yeah, he's he's in. That's nine. Oh God, I'm uh, I'm 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 struggling to be honest now. I feel like I've offended some teammates. <laughs> if I'm honest, Gary Parker didn't have a sticker. Scott Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Gary Gary might have left by that point. I'm not so sure. Although I don't mm-hmm. think he was still there, I think I've really, I've really sort of extended my IQ on that one. I think that's me done. Gary Gary Parker is in the book, but he just doesn't have a sticker. Um, All right, I think okay. I think you're missing Frank Rowling. All you right, Frank. yeah, Frank, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it was funny, Frank, because when I signed, he was sort of one of the players whose place I took. So I don't think I ever um, played a game with him, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, he did sort of stay that season as we as we went up. Ships in the night. A couple of players I've not heard of. I can't really remember too well. Sam McMahon. Yeah, Sam. He was just a young lad coming through. I think he had a couple of first team games, but he had a really bad um, uh, shin in, uh, leg injury. Someone with the studs, and it cut him open right down the side of his calf. It was oh. like a it was like a shark attack. It really just split oh, his God. leg right open. Yeah, yeah. But I remember Sam. He was a young lad, and there's a. There's a couple other young lads that I can't quite remember the names, so I yeah. apologise to them. But, no, um, the, the two the two others I think you're missing are Jamie Lawrence and Colin Hill. All right, yeah, yeah. Did you say yeah. Mark Robbins? Well, I don't think you did. Mark Robbins, I didn't say no, no, no. He's I know a, he, he, he sort of one. left just yeah, he left around maybe a year later. I think that's probably what confused me. Catch, I think you mentioned Steve Claridge. I didn't hear Steve Claridge come out of your mouth. I did. No, I mentioned Steve. Definitely, Claridge. Definitely, yes. Okay, yeah, bad. yeah. I think he's one of the first. How could I forget? Yeah. It's it's worth noting so, yeah. early on that um, I'm, I'm a Borough fan, so this, <laughs> this could be quite a painful interview for me. This one. <laughs> no. So you did all right. You 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 quickly got ten. Then then you then you you um then you, faded. Uh, yeah, you faded away. But uh, that's not that's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> it's worth noting that um in doing obviously we've done quite a bit of research for the interview, Julian and. I don't know if you're aware of this. If you go, on, if you put your name into Google, do you know what comes up? Mm. No. You share a name with um, an infamous woodworker. 
Um, <laughs> I assume you haven't come across his work. Let's just say very fa- phallic in design. <laughs> oh right, right. That's interesting. I'll have to. I'll have to have a look at that. Do I don't think he'll be very happy. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, okay. So Julian, you started your career at Rotherham, and we yeah. found out that your dad, your dad was a footballer as well. So was that? Did that help you get going in football? We assume. No, it was a funny one. As a as a kid, uh, I mean, my dad had he got injured really early. He's got he's got an England youth cap, but he got injured, and that, in in those days, that was his career done. And it was something they could do something about now. But back then, medically, uh, they weren't able to fix him. So unfortunately, he had a very short lived career. Um, and personally, for me, I was as a younger player. There's a real strong, um, or there was a strong Sunday league in Sheffield, and I played in one of the better teams, but. Um, I was really just a worker, you know. I used to be able to get up down the pitch. I played in the centre of the centre midfield. Didn't probably play every week. And in my team, I think there were about eight or nine players got signed on blue forms, which was the under fourteen level when you could sign for a professional club. Uh, one of them you might know, Dane Whitehouse, who who was had a career at Sheffield United, unfortunately cut short uh, by injury. Um, and I was one of the ones that was left out. And at, at sixteen. Everybody then went to these sort of feeder clubs uh, for United, for Wednesday, for Rotherham and Barnsley and all that. And I was sort of left playing in a team in the in the league at 16, which was like the best of the rest, if you like. So uh, I played for those. Um, I broke my collarbone in a friendly against a, like a men's team. A guy called Trenton Wigan. You might you might may or may not have heard that name. I think he was about Sheffield United when he was young. Uh, and when I got back from injury, I couldn't get into the this under 18 team. I had a bit of a, you know, the manager's son played and I think, you know, we didn't really see eye to eye. So I ended up leaving and playing for uh, men's football uh, as, as a 16-year-old for a club called Freshville. And the guy who eventually spotted me for Rotherham, uh, a guy called John Brecken, who I'm still in touch with now, he actually thought I was too old uh, to, to go to Rotherham because I was like six foot three. I had the most horrific haircut of all time. It was it was it was pre mullet, but probably as close to that as you could get. And he, he actually thought I was a, a year or two older. But uh, as I was playing for Freshville, came and watched me a few times. And um, I think I was I'd have been sixteen or maybe I think I might have been seventeen at this point. And he asked me to come and play for the intermediate team at Rotherham United, uh, which I did. And it went okay. Uh, and he kept telling me that I was a centre back, and I kept saying. No, John, I'm not. I'm definitely not a centre back. And we had this ongoing argument. And if there were any injuries, he'd pop me back in defence. And at the end of the season, he, you know, it all sort of went quiet. But he then said, you know, there's one more game at Millmore, and if you want to come down, but you're going to play centre back. And off the back of that, I had a decent enough game, and uh, they invited me back the, you know, the year later, uh, and eventually. Um, Sort of offered me a contract at 18 years of age, so I'm very lucky, very fortunate for John that he saw something in me that, you know, I'd, I'd sort of had trials at other clubs, but you know, no one had seen that in me, and he, he sort of managed to convince me that uh, I needed to play as a centre back, and and that really probably was quite a telling sort of reason of how I actually managed to have a career in the first place. So I, I, I owe the guy quite a lot. In your very first season with as, as a professional with Rotherham. We're right in saying that you were relegated and then promoted the next season, so experiencing some some major highs and lows very early on in your career. Well, unfortunately, I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't get the high because we got relegated. I managed to get into the first team, and then it was really one of those seasons where the team um, 
we we just struggled. We couldn't score goals, uh, and it was it was real hard work. And they, they changed the formation, and I managed to. I made my debut away at Blackburn in the cup. Uh, I think I marked Frank Stapleton, and we lost one 0 but I did okay, and I managed to run. I think it was about fourteen games, but it, it was really hard work in the team for me coming in as a young lad, and you know the older pros were all struggling as well. It was difficult week in week out, suffering defeats, um, uh, and it, the season was just quite awful to be honest. I mean, I was happy that I was in a you know in a team and playing, and I, and I was in the second year of I got you know offered a contract after we got relegated, but I actually left. Rotherham in the March <clears throat> before the promotion so unfortunately I only suffered the low of the relegation and then uh, I'd made my way across to, to Sheffield mm. Wednesday mm. We took a deep dive into your career for the purpose of this interview Richie did a lot of the early years I focused on the late 90s stuff Richie found that you may have crossed paths with Sean Gota at Rotherham does that ring a bell? Oh, I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were, we were actually, it's a funny, I've, I've not seen him for such a long time, but when I was there, we were actually really, really good mates. I mean, Sean came over from, from Man U, I think, and uh, but he was playing a lot of reserve football, as I was. So, you know, we spent a lot of time together. There was me, him, and the keeper called Billy Mercer, and we were all good pals. We'd go out we'd go out on a weekend together. And Sean was just absolutely hilarious. One of the the funniest characters you know I've met I can remember going into a nightclub with him and it was it was a midweek night and it wasn't very busy and there was a, a a party of females in and Sean literally picked the mic up from the DJ and started making up raps and th- you know things like this <laughs> we were, we were just in stitches but he's such a big personality and I was so pleased for him like obviously later on he went on uh, you know and played for Man City but he, he was mm. a cracking lad mm. did did you ever feed the goat <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping not but some, some of the nights we were out in those days we did get well he, he didn't drink actually but uh, I think me and Billy Mercer made up for him on, on, on that score but I, I'm, I'm hoping the answer to that is no wow so he didn't drink and he was up doing raps on the on the microphone in yeah, the middle of a well, nightclub fair he, play he, he was just all personality he really was such a lively positive character definitely someone you'd want in the changing room and um you know he had a decent spell and obviously he went on to do well I think when he came to Rotherham he would probably had the disappointing appointment of being let go by Man U and he was sort of finding his feet and, and eventually he found him very well and uh I mean I, I believe he's a massive personality back in um Bermuda where he's from mm. it's funny because I, I didn't I remember Sean Goethe, obviously, from playing for Man City. I hadn't realised he was playing at Rotherham before that. But when I read up on him, off the back of doing this research, he was brought to England by Man United. He sold the dream of playing for United, the Theatre of Dreams, Sir Alex, playing with the likes of Brian Robson. And then he's playing for Rotherham out of nowhere. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a, a, I don't want to call it a fall from grace, but as you say, I can understand him being a bit disappointed, having not made it uh, at, at United. But then goes on to become a City legend, so... It all worked out for me in the end. He did, and, and he did have a bit of good karma as well, I'm sure. And uh, this is, again, it's a long time ago, but we played Man United reserves, and I, I think we won 3-0. You know, Rotherham United won 3-0, and I'm sure he scored a hat-trick. So there was a little mm-hmm. bit of uh, payback from yeah. them. But like I say, at that time, he was just finding his feet, uh, and, and he found them very well eventually. Mm. I think he got 20 caps in 17 years for Bermuda. <laughs> He's got an MBE for services to Bermudan Sport, but 20 caps, I can't quite get my head around that, whether they just don't, a game a year or something, it's bizarre. I was going to say, they obviously didn't have a lot of fixtures, because, you know, like I say, I think he's got coaching schools on the island and everything, you know, he's a really big name over there. 
Yeah. So from Rotherham, you then, as you mentioned there in, in March, you went on trial. Um, did you go on trial to Sheffield United first before signing for I did, Sheffield yes. Boyd? Yeah. What happened yeah. there then? I, uh, I, well, I played a game for, it's funny enough, um, someone who my mum knew was a good friend of Emlyn Hughes and I, I played uh, for Rotherham away at um, at Chesterfield. And we didn't have, you know, didn't have the goalie subs at the time, and uh, the keeper got injured and had to go off. And Nicky Law, the centre back who was playing with me, had to go in goal. And Tony Cunningham, who was coming to the end of his career, came and and, and had to play centre back with me. Now Tony obviously got a wealth of experience in the game, but never played centre back in his life. And he was sort of looking at me for for guidance. And I was, you know, still a young lad at the time. So, but we we got we got through it. I think we scrambled a draw. Uh, but Emlyn had been at the game and he'd, he'd mentioned something to someone and someone said, oh, that's, you know, that's Jones lad and I know the lad. So he, uh, I believe he sorted out the trial because he still had connections at, at Sheffield United. Uh, I went there for two weeks and did okay, but, you know, there's a lot of um, sort of cliches in the game. And, you know, Dave Bassett just said to me after the two weeks, you know, you've done well and you're a decent lad, but not better than anything that we've got, which I think, I think there's a quite a few players all have been told exactly the same things, you know, by different people at different clubs. So it was just a case of that. So it was disappointing, but I'd had a taste of, you know, training with these lads who, were, you know, they were in the Premier League at the time. Um, and the two lads up front, Dean and Agana, Tony Dean was like, um, Brian Dean, sorry, was quite a funny lad. So, I, you know, I met a few guys there. Clive Mendonca was there who I knew from Rotherham. Oh. So uh, it, it, it was quite a good experience. Uh, but funnily enough, I... I ended up going uh, back to Rotherham, got in the squad at the weekend. But as we were going for a walk before the game, the gaffer pulled me and said, you know, you'll be going to, uh, if you want to, you can go down to, you know, Hillsborough. Uh, they'd like to have a look at you now. So it was, it was a bit, you know, weird at the time. And, and that led into a two-week trial. And, and fortunately, um, you know, that was successful. And, and, and off the back of it, they signed me. Amazing. Were you a Chef Wed fan as a kid, Julian? Um, I, I sort of was, but I, I, funnily enough, I've never really sort of followed a team. You know, I've never been a massive fan. Or, but you know, I lived fairly local to the ground. Uh, funnily enough, when I was at Rotherham, we had this little players pass, and after I'd played on a Saturday morning, you know, I could go to the ticket office at Hillsborough uh, and get a ticket for free uh, and and go and watch the game. And that, and if Wednesday were at home, I did that most Saturdays. So. You know, I always sort of said that I did support Wednesday, but I think it was just that they were they were convenient. You know, my dad likes he likes Wednesday, um, so so I suppose I, I did in a way. But you know, I never really got that like a lot of fans do, where it's you know they're quite as the word suggests fanatical about a club. So, uh, but yeah, they were the team that you know I, I watched most as I suppose as I was a teenager growing up. One of the biggest in the in in the in the area at the time. Who was the manager? Uh, well, at, at uh, Wednesday, Trevor Francis had just taken over because Ron, Big Ron, had gone to take the job at Aston Villa. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I was signed by Trevor. And this is at a time where, you know, Chef Wednesday are at the peak of their powers. They've finished third in the league the previous season. This is the season before the Premier League began. And they'd reached both cup finals, of course, losing both to Arsenal, fortunately. But it's a time when there's lots of, of quality in the squad. W- were you instantly in amongst the first-team squad, or did you have to play reserve football to start off with? <laughs> well, I mean, the funny story about that is that the at the end of that, so the end of the season where we finished third, I mean, I was sort of not really involved at all, training or anything with the first team. I was just sort of integrated into the reserves, but there was an end-of-season trip to uh, to Marbella, 
and, and there's a few of the first team dropped out for various reasons. So my first oh, inclusion God. with the first team was, <laughs> was a trip to Marbella, which I've got to be honest, I must have been a bit green behind the gills at that time because it was a, it was a, such an eye opener for uh, <laughs> I think I think the first night we sort of got down there and we were sort of driving into the resort at about half 11 12 or something like that and I was genuinely thinking all right you know we'll dump the bags and, and you know go to go to bed <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I think I think it was Danny Wilson was like right dump the bags lads uh, downstairs in 20 minutes and we went into a bar which is I think everybody knows if they've been to Port of Anu, it's called Sinatra's and Christ, all yeah. the Villa lads were in there, all the Wednesday lads were in there. There's a few other people knocking about. I think I was walking around with four cans of uh, four bottles of Heineken in my hand at any given time. And uh, yeah, it, it, it didn't um, sort of get any easier after that. So it was like a good <laughs> three or four days. But, and that, that was my introduction to the first team. So uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun holiday, I've got to be honest. And probably no better way to, to get to know a group of people than uh, when you've had a few beers. Grueling. So there was other teams just kicking around in the resort as well, because seeing yeah, the season Vi- off in Villa, style. Villa, yeah, Aston Villa were definitely there, and um, <laughs> you know, and all, all the lads knew each other, and they were. It was all friendly. There was no, you know, it was just another team out there having a laugh, and you know, we were all in, you know, Sinatra's that night. I remember a couple of players, and I, I didn't really know any of them. You know, I'd I'd been at Rotherham until that point, so I didn't know any. But the, the lads did, and they were all, we were all just stood, stood mingling, chatting together, uh, and having a bit of a laugh like you do. Mm. Can you tell us who some of the big characters were in the squad at that time then? Um, for, for me, I mean, like, to have, for me, as a where I played, to have Viv Anderson uh, in the squad um, was, was really good. He was great with me, you know, always giving advice and encouragement. If I ever did something right in training, a pat on the back, if I did something wrong, a bollocking. But it, do you know what? It was full of strong characters at the time. Uh, Danny Wilson, you know, no, no one sort of really messed with Danny. He was like a real tough tackling midfield player. Um, you know, um, Nigel Pearson, Peter Shirtliffe, you know, they were sort of big, strong lads and big characters. David Hurst was, you know, he was on fire at the time. Uh, then you had some of the, da- you know, you know, funnier characters, Carlton Palmer, John Sheridan, who, you know, was hilarious. And then and then we signed, you know, shortly after Chris Waddle. Uh, and there were players like that, so it was a, it really was a, a squad full of characters, and you know, at any one time you were playing with sort of like six or seven internationals. Roland Nielsen was there. What a, an absolute one of the best right backs you'll you'll ever see. You know, um, so it, it was just for me a good time, but on the other side, frustrating because you know it took so long for me to to get an opportunity. I felt like I was waiting in the wings forever. Uh, went on loan to Shrewsbury, and after a month, the gaffer wanted me to come back and. I didn't fall out, but I just said, I don't want to come back. I'm really enjoying first-team football because it had been such a long time between Rotherham and going to, on loan to Shrewsbury. Um, you know, playing reserve team football, I felt like I'd sort of elevated a bit and then I'd sort of plateaued because it, it, it there was no sort of carrot or no light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, to go on loan to, to Shrewsbury was fantastic. And I did end up staying the two months there and, and was managed by John Bond, who, you know, another massive character in the game. Mm. So just going back to some of the names that you've mentioned there, we, we had a list of a few people we wanted to pick out, many of whom you, you've ticked off there. Really keen to chat to you about Carlton Palmer because he's someone that we've approached about coming on the podcast because we've heard one or two of the stories he tells. What was he like as a teammate or, or on a night out? Well, well, he he was the one who... Uh, so I go to Marbella uh, and I genuinely think, and like this, you know, Carlton's a, a lovely lad, you know, he got on with everyone, but 
I don't think anyone really wanted to room with him because, you know, he, he, again, quite a character. So that that fell on me. I didn't really have any choice. It was like, oh, wow. you're rooming with Carlton, you know, and I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, I don't think either of us had any filters. We'd be getting up and it was 10 o'clock and we were straight out having a beer and he was telling me all about what gear he'd got, Boss Armani, all this kind of stuff. I was there in me sort of... You know, I don't, I don't know if Sainsbury's had clothes at the time. That's probably what I was dressed <laughs> in. And, uh, uh, so, so uh, and, and the thing was, what you did, he, and then, like I say, I didn't really know many of the first teamers anyway, but you sort of stuck with your roomie, you know. So I had three or four days um, with Carlton and, you know, with the other lads, but me and him might go off on his own. And, you know, it's, um, I, I seem to remember that on the way back, he had, I think he had a bit of like alcohol poison and he was supposed to be meeting up with the England squad. If I, I don't know if I've got that right. And I remember him like, he'd left his passport in the room and me, I ran back up the room, got his passport, nearly left mine. And, but it was just like, you know, I mean, great fun, <laughs> but an absolute car crash of a tri- trip when you, you know, you're up and out at 10 o'clock in the morning and then, you know, you might come in and I think we used to meet at about six o'clock in the bar in the hotel and it was like one of the most one of the poshest hotels in in um in Marbella or Port Banus, uh the Andalusia Plaza and I don't think people could believe what they were seeing and we'd meet at six o'clock and that was just to rally ourselves to get back out, you know, down the down the port. So uh, yeah, in interesting and sometimes hard work but uh, all good fun in the end. We've got to ask about Chris Waddle as well, one of the most talented English players of the 90s what was he like to play with what uh, was he like Chris, in training I bet he did some outrageous stuff he did it I mean like first with Chris we went on a trip to South Africa and for some reason I ended up you know I was rooming with him and I roomed with him a few times and got to know him really well and he's just he's a great lad I still see him not not often now but he, a few years ago people would sort of like ask him to put a team together and we'd, we'd play like some charity games on a, on a Sunday and like John Sheridan had come down and a few other, you know, old boys from, you know, varying clubs that, that Wads could pull in. And uh, and then that was obviously the reason to, you know, have a beer afterwards. So, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, like the, the quality he had, and even when he was like, I mean, still now he plays. And so he's he's got to be in his 50s. And, you know, a few years ago when we were playing, it, he's still the passion to win. And he'd be moaning like anything, you know, anyone made a mistake. And, you know, if the defence was too team too, too deep, he'd be screaming at you to get up the pitch. And we're like, Chris, it's a charity game, mate. Just chill <laughs> out, for God's sake. You know, and he was like, no, no, no. And he'd get really, but he had that all his career. I don't think people saw that side of him. They saw the ability that he had. Uh, but that, that absolute passion to win was, you know, obviously what drove him to have uh, such a fantastic career. And, and for me, I seem to think that it wouldn't have been the best spell of his career, but he had a fantastic spell at Wednesday where I remember, you know, Julian Dix, he sat him down and, you know, one afternoon just embarrassed the lad for, you know, a near 90 minutes, played on the right wing, you know, people would show him on his right, he'd put a perfect crossing with his right, you know, a couple of step overs and he'd sit him, I sat him on his backside a few times and, you know, you sort of stood watching him and actually chuckling to yourself because it was quite funny the way, you know, our players don't go near him and they double ups on him. So, uh, but as a person, great bloke, ever so funny, you know, he's great company on a night out and, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, and like I say, I roomed with him, uh, you know, a few times and got to know him really well. So, uh, you know, there were good times. Can we talk briefly about Trevor Francis? Because it's, it's kind of hard to believe he was actually the player manager around about this time and that must have been an interesting dynamic. He was obviously famous for being the first million-pound player, won Forrest, the European Cup twice, 50-odd caps for England. Um, he 
I had Canton R on trial at Chef Wed uh, for a period. I don't know if that was before your time. T- tell it us was about before my time. Man. Yeah, was there any? Did you ever get that story from from any of your teammates or Trevor himself? Let, tell us a bit about uh, Trevor and how you found it with him. Uh, yeah, Trevor. For me personally, at the time, not not my cup of tea. I think, as I've said, I, I've got memories of uh, going away with the first team, lost two 0 at West Ham, played awful, and you know. Trevor and Richie Barker were like, never mind, you know, it was a bit of a never mind, come on, you know, we've got next game coming. Next night, we had a reserve game and we're all young lads and it's nil-nil at half-time and he comes in and, you know, the air dryer comes out. I never felt he could do that to the to the senior players and I felt that Danny Wilson particularly and Viv Anderson probably kept the first team squad in check rather than, you know, the, the manager at the time. I, I didn't think he was a strong character with the, with the bigger players. Um, whereas you know, obviously with us, you know, I've, I've had a, you know, I was a young lad. I remember, I mean, they probably do it all the time now, but it was unheard of to train in the summer, and it brought the reserves in three days a week, and we were all upset about it. And I remember being really, and he, we ended up stopping training, and then started running us because the, he said the training wasn't good enough. And I remember staring at him, and he's looking at me, saying, "Don't you eyeball me?" And I'm thinking, you know, it was because I was a young lad, and. He knew there'd be no reaction because he wouldn't speak like that, you know, to to a more senior player. So I, I felt, you know, I felt, and and again, you know, for me personally, Trevor told me at the end of his time. I mean, he obviously didn't know he was going, but at the end of his, uh, at the end of that season, I was out of contract, uh, and he just said, you know, I don't think you're good enough for my first team. Um, he said, but you know, you're good backup. So he offered me a two-year contract. Um, and it was, you know, it was better money than what I was on, but not fantastic. Uh, and I just said, no, I need to go and play first team football. And if that means dropping down a league or two, you know, that's what I need to do because I'd been there for um, a couple of years, three three years, I think it was, and, and not really played, you know, played a handful of games and never a sequence of games. It was always in here, you know, then out, then in. And, you know, so it just felt like it, it hadn't worked out and I needed to go and, and, and try something else. But then... Shortly after, you know, Trevor was relieved of his duties and, and David Pleat came in. So you've alluded to it already there that it wasn't long before Francis's time was up and, and David Pleat took over. Um, tell us about David Pleat, firstly. What, what was he like as a manager? Uh, David, I mean, I think other people would tell you this. He, was, he, he managed, he was a bit like a school teacher. You know, he didn't, he didn't call it. I mean, you know, people always called me Watsy or Julian and he was like, what's... What's stop talking? You know, it was a bit, <laughs> you know. So, but they, they, you know, that was his style. He was fine. I mean, to be fair to David, he came in and he had like an individual one-to-one chat with with all the players. And as I went in, I just said, "I'm out of contract. I need to leave. I've been here three years, not really played." And he just said to me, "Will you do me a favour? Just let me have a look at you." Uh, and I, I sort of trained quite well, and I played in the first. Um, I think we, we literally, and you wouldn't believe this now, but I'm sure we. We came back for pre-season training on the Friday and on the Saturday we played in the Intertoto Cup at, at Rotherham, full enough, at Millmore. Uh, and I, can't, I don't know if it was Aarhus or someone like that from Denmark. And we beat them, th- I think we beat them 3-0 and I played. And I actually played quite well and, and through pre-season I think I only missed sort of one of the other Intertoto games and I, I sort of played quite a few of the friendlies. Um the last one, which was a good one, we played Sheffield United in what was called the Steel City Cup. They'd gone down to the Championship, uh, but it was like a cup match, and it was a week before the season started. So we both had, you know, our strongest teams out, and I played in that. And like I say, at the time I was out of contract, and in those days before Bosman, literally, you know, if I'd have got injured, um, 
you know, they, they could have just said, right, you know, you walk away. And, you know, I wasn't on a great wage at the time. And that went on for some time because I played the first six games under David and then they pulled me out. And, and this is how, you know, uh, mentally he was. So he pulled me out of the team. We had a lad called Andy Pierce who'd signed and he, he went back in my position. After about two weeks, I've actually finally plucked up the courage because I didn't know... I didn't know what you did, you know, he pulled you out mm. of the team, so you just get your head down and carry on training hard. But I went to see him and he was just like, Yes, well I've been waiting for you. As if I should have gone in, you know, a week before or and that but that was just that, you know, his style. And I didn't really I never really had a problem with it. And I had a chat and, you know, what do I need to do? And but then again with David, although I played more in that year up till March and leaving than I did in the three years previous with Trevor, it wasn't you know, it, it wasn't regular. I remember playing Arsenal away, I think, in a league or a cup match in the midweek and on the Saturday I think we were at Everton and I didn't even get on the bench and then we played Arsenal away opposite League or Cup whichever it was midweek again and I played in that and then I didn't play at the weekend and you know again it was after the first six games I really felt like I'd got you know an opportunity to get a run of games together Uh, and and then that became sporadic as well and then funnily enough all season, he kept telling me that Martin O'Neill was ringing him, asking him questions, and Leicester had watched me again, and Martin and John had been at another game, and they kept asking him. He kept sitting me down and asked, telling me all these things right the way through the season, which again, you know, I thought was quite strange, and, and that went on all the way to deadline day, and and, and then obviously I left. Mm. We'll just want to throw a couple more names at you from your time as Chef Wed before we move on to Leicester. I've got one here, uh, Mark de Grease, legendary Belgian forward. He Moved to Sheffield for 1.5 million. This is summer 1995. Left after one season. Uh, but interestingly, Richie's dug out a fantastic start here. I can't take credit for this. But during his time at Sheffield, he and Orlando Trustful, who was another teammate of yours, they had cameos in the full Monty, but the scenes didn't make the final cut. Did you know about that one? <laughs> I didn't know about that. No. I, mean, I remember Mark. I'm, I'm not sure if he was he captain of Belgium. Because he he, could he well came with a he, he came with a player. reputation, yeah, and he it never really worked for him. So again, this was under uh, David. I mean, we had another great player who's sadly no longer with us, Class Ingerson, who oh, I thought was a was a fantastic player, and it, again, it didn't work out for for him at uh, Wednesday, even though he was uh, you know he's playing in the Swedish squad. But I think he went on and captained Bari in Italy, and, it, and I thought he was a cracking player, but. Um, he was there under Trevor and then I think I don't know if he left under Pleat but yeah there were some funny players there who were there who, who had big reputations and, and never it, it never worked out for them and I remember Mark you know coming and he, he's we, we all thought I think he was going to be better than he was but I think a lot of it wasn't just down to him it was the way we were playing and the position he was being asked to play in so uh, I think he found it hard but no I didn't I didn't realise he'd been in the full Monty and then hit the uh, the editing room floor. <laughs> I can't believe that he's if he's been in the film, it hasn't been brought up in the dressing room. I'm gutted about that. No, you might, I mean, might get a small part. The... Ah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, I think you know. I left in '96, and I'm not sure when he left. So it, it might have been after then. I'm not even sure when the full Monty was made. But um, uh, yeah, but no, he was. He was a. He was a real nice guy. Uh, like I say, I didn't play that much time with him. But uh, yeah, it, it was a short stay for him, unfortunately. We've got one more Sheffield player we want to talk about before we move on to to your time at Leicester, uh, and that's Reggie Blinker. Um, and I, I think uh, the reason that Ketch and I wanted to do this particular focus on this year is for players like Reggie Blinker because I, I like many Premier League fans, 
think have Reggie Blinker down as a bit of an icon at Chef, Chef Wednesday. He only played one season there. I seem to remember sort of, you know, wingers at those time, and he was a winger. They they sort of come and have a few good games, and and then you know all of a sudden the form would dip, and then you know they'd be like a probably like a specialist substitute. And I think Reggie was a bit like that because he, he was loads of talent and a fantastic player. But again, you know, he didn't he didn't he definitely didn't produce it week in week out. So you know, I think and that's probably why he only stayed a year. Probably frustrated himself. But another thing that obviously would never happen now. But I do remember coming home on the bus from a trip and there was Reggie, David Hurst and Steve Nicholl all having a fag on the back of the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Different time. <laughs> Absolutely. Different time. And that, that, that epitomises why we're doing this podcast, to be honest with you, Julian. So uh, great, amazing to hear that. <laughs> last, yeah, the last few yeah. years that it was it was deemed acceptable, I think, Absolutely. To, to do that. Yeah. To yeah. move it on then to Leicester, you... Signed for Leicester in March 1996. Just to set the scene, Martin O'Neill had recently taken over at Leicester from Mark McGee. Uh, he had left Leicester for Wolves. Uh, Leicester were at the time top of the Division 1, which is now the Championship. And O'Neill had, had recently taken over at Norwich, but he had a big fallout with the chairman at Norwich. Uh, he resigned and ended up as, as Leicester boss. And then you arrived and the, the, the team hit a bit of a rut early on. Um, can you... Uh, Describe what it was, what Martin was like, and, and and how you found your first few months at Leicester. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I've still got quite a nice affinity with the club now. I'm still in touch with a few of the players. Um, I was, I've been playing in the veterans team until I had an operation a couple of years ago, so I've still got quite strong links with the club. And it was a funny time for me to be honest. So, you know, the first day, um, you know, I go down and chat with Martin in the office and. Chatting about me, and I, you know, I said, I said, I thought, you know, I was quite quick for such a tall player, and he told me he thought I was quite slow actually. And it was like that that theme carried on right through my time there. He was always quite, he, he liked to keep people on the toes, and some some players really liked it. I know Robbie Savage always said that, you know, if the gaffer really dug him out, it, it spurred him on. And Ian Marshall was the same, and it did the op- opposite for me. And over time, it really sort of affected my game, not in not in a in a good way. But he was a he's a real strong character. Um, so I signed on the day. Uh, myself and Muzzy, as it signed on, on the deadline day. No one had heard of Muzzy and what a signing you know he turned out to be. And um, the first game was at home to Sheffield United of all teams, uh, yeah. and I had an absolute shocker. Um, didn't <laughs> didn't play well. Uh, I was you know they were obviously getting I was getting abuse off the fans. I mean the pitch was awful at the time. It was so bare and you know with muddy and bounces everywhere and. You couldn't really play on it. Uh, we lost 2-0. I think the United fans sang piggy piggy what's the score for most of the game. Uh, I even heard a Leicester fan say stop the check. Obviously alluding <laughs> to me, but I mean it was. And oh, <laughs> it was just like, you know, as, as debuts go, it was uh, it was right in the depths of, uh, of what you'd won. And it was the game quite famously that uh, there was a big... Um, sort of commotion in the, uh, yeah. the car park. A lot of fans stayed behind him. Martin, I mean, this is where he was brilliant. Ever such a clever guy. Uh, and he just said, right, pick three people who represent all of you and come in my office. And they did that. And I think it was three, might have been four. They went in his office. They've obviously vented their, you know, frustrations with the team. And the, the, and to be fair, the rule that you alluded to there, it was only that game for me, really. So I know they'd had a few bad results before that. Um but so obviously there was there was a stumbling in form. We dropped out. I think we were about ninth at the time. Um, so they vented their frustrations. Martin answered them, and it all actually worked out really well. I think 
you know, the supporters came out, that you know, they heard, heard the right things from the manager. And after that, we, we went on the most amazing run. I think we, we played Charlton away midweek, who were, you know, top six looking, or ended up in the playoffs, beat them 1-0. I think we went to Palace on the Saturday, who were right up there. We ended up playing in the final, beat them 1-0. And we just went on this incredible run and, and the togetherness in the squad. And again, it doesn't happen now. But we were just we just socialised together. We'd get back from a game and we knew a couple of guys who owned a nightclub called Brannigan's in Leicester. Uh, and we'd be like off the coach, straight into Brannigan's, upstairs. They'd, they'd rope the area off. We'd like just be drinking, you know, we'd have a big tab. You know, the nightclub would be bouncing and, you know, we'd be home at two and three in the morning. And then, you know, we might have the day off after a game then, which I know they don't do now. Or, or if we did, we'd all, you know, come into training a bit worse for wear. So, you know, but the, the, the thing that I've always sort of gleaned from that, and it is a funny thing, is that we really, really got on as a squad. And I think it made such a difference on the pitch in that run and when we got promoted and stayed up you know in the Premier League the year after it was that thing of we were we weren't just teammates we were proper mates and you, you always want to look after your mates if they're in a bit of trouble you want to be there for them and it really resonated on the pitch and you know we were coming home from the games and the the big album at the time was Wonderwall and we had that blaring all of us singing yes. horrendously along to it with Kanzel arguing <laughs> around you know coming back from these away games just that absolutely you know buzzing all the time and uh they, they were absolutely fantastic times and I, I remember you know the, the the on the pitch off the pitch it was uh it was just fantastic what we did uh, i think we had one um defeat the unexpected defeat in in that rest of that running but apart from that we were pretty solid we played some good stuff uh and, and we got the results that got us over the line on the last day of the season we, it, what about the last day of the season? Is it true you threw up on the pitch coming out for the second yeah, half? Yeah, it is. It <laughs> is. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a gipper with you know, I'm bad with smells and stuff like that. Anyway, still to this day, and it used to be that thing that I'd go in at half time, and I think, do you know, when your body stopped after 45 minutes or in around, and I'd go back out, and I always did feel a bit like that, and I couldn't have anything touching my neck, and it was like really tense day. I mean, they, I think they'd already got relegated Watford and. But we needed, you know, if we didn't win, we got no chance. If we did win, we were still relying, you know, on other teams to to drop points for us to get in the top six. Uh, and it was it was we walked out, and it was before, I'm sure it was before we kicked a ball in the second half, and I've just sort of like, yeah, just did a chunder in the centre circle. Oh, <laughs> and then, oh. and then, well, and then the whistle and then, goes, and, and you've got to play with the second half. Oh, amazing, <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> Was yeah. was Mark was Martin O'Neill okay with this? You know, post match nightclubs till two a.m. Did he ever oh, complain about listen, that? Listen, no, he, he had, I'm not going to say encouraged it, but I mean, he like he took us away to Bournemouth. I mean, we were literally on the piss for three days, and you know, and and this is in the middle of the season, and we went. To, I think we had a Marbella trip, and on the on the last day in Bournemouth, I mean, they did something really funny. Well, daft. We were all out all day, uh, and I'd sort of we were stumbling back to the hotel, and I fell forwards. And I just didn't take my hands out of my pockets, and I've landed on my face, smashed a tooth in half, um, <laughs> you know. And they and like you know, Steve Walford, the coach, he's just laughing as we walk in the hotel. I've got blood all over me and all that. And the next day, we just had to meet downstairs at ten o'clock, and we went for a run along the front, and and that was it. Um, you know, there were often days or weeks where, if we had, a, especially when we got promoted, where we'd, uh, you know, if we if we'd had a good midweek result and a good weekend result, and it was like, we'll see you Wednesday. And we were just straight out on a Saturday night. We'd go out all day on a Sunday. You know, we might play golf on a Monday and have a few beers. And then, you know, we'd come in Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever it was. And they'd obviously, 
run you into the floor just to run it all out of you. But that, you know, that's how it was. And, and like I say, you know, sounds ridiculous now to the way that they treat and the way they look after themselves. But it really brought us together, and it, it was a, it was like a plus, uh, you know, in in the in the way that we worked together. Uh, and it, like, you know, it just wouldn't happen anymore. This is why we're doing the podcast. You you played Julian in the in the sweet spot of British football where you could really go out and have a good time, but also play in yeah. front of millions on Sky Sports and at Wembley in front yeah. of eighty thousand fans. So it's great to hear that you've really embraced the spirit of searching for shiny. Well, there's a there's a one that I do remember that we uh, I was a bit hacked off at the time. I wasn't in the team, and you know, and I'd been in the team. We'd signed Matty Elliott, who I'm still great friends with, but. We really enjoyed playing together, but didn't get the opportunity. It was like him or me, which was, you know, I ended up playing in the League Cup when he was cup side. But so on one of the weekends, we'd we'd got uh, we'd got a Monday morning game away at Tottenham in the, on the training ground. So it was like a you know non first team game. And on the Sunday, I went out with a friend of mine, got absolutely trolled. I slept all the way down. Uh, they had these beds on the back of the bus, and I was one of the older ones, so I was like commandeered the bed. Slept all the way down to London. I mean, I don't know how we, you know, we or how I used to you know, manage playing in that state. And I remember stood next to uh, the striker on the pitch, uh, Stefan Everson, and I must have like reeked of, I'd, I'd puked up, I'd, I'd so <laughs> oh. much to drink. And you know that you can't hide that the next day as much toothpaste or mouthwash that you have. And he's just looking at me, thinking. What what are you what have you been doing with yourself? Uh, and and yeah, listen, managed to get through the ninety minutes. All right, I think we did okay. I'm not, I can't remember the result. If I'm honest, it was literally on their training ground. But again, you know, shouldn't have done it. Very unprofessional. But you know, like I say, I wasn't in a good place, not playing in the team and all that. And you you often just thought in those days, sod it. It's just such a different sort of animal now. Where you'd be on the training ground doing a bit extra and you'd be asking the coach what you needed to do and what you needed to work on. We we just got pissed off and went and had a beer. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of a different way to sort of uh, treat your issues, I suppose. We must ask about the playoff final because that obviously uh, you scraped into the playoffs, made the final uh, you, at the old Wembley in front of 70,000, 80,000 fans. There's a, there's a photograph of you walking out. You look absolutely terrifying. <laughs> such, a, such a huge game. I've, I've, got, I've got that picture hung on my wall. It's framed. <laughs> it it looks just, like you, I need to go to the toilet urgently. It looks like you're going to puke again. <laughs> I, remember, I remember coming up in the book, and obviously like a couple of lads had played a few playoff finals, and while she was joking, I don't know why we felt underneath, and he's going... He's messing around saying, oh, I feel a bit tense. And I've got this nervous laugh and I'm thinking, Christ, if you knew how I felt. And I'm sort of laughing thinking, God, I'm absolutely shitting myself here. And we, we came up, there wasn't a Palace fan in sight, all the Leicester fans as we drove through the gates. It was like unbelievable. But yeah, stomach was churning, doing absolute cartwheels. You know, it was, uh, and, it, and it turned out to be a fantastic day. And one, one of the things I sort of quite liked, and I, I, I'm hoping I've got this right, in the Leicester Mercury, I think, Dave Bassett did, you know, he went did a rundown of, on our players, and one of them, obviously being me, was like, you know, I had the chance to sign Julian, but you know, decided not to, and so it was a bit of good karma for myself that we uh, we managed to get over the line, you know, against him. So, uh, but yeah, for me, you know, as a as a footballer, it's got to be got to be my best day. Um, you know, the game was tough. We went a goal down. It went through my legs as well, and unbelievably bobbled on on the Wembley service that Ron Atkinson he mentions that several times, but um, in the commentary, but. 
you know, we, we I think it was a really good game of football. I mean, I remember a lot of people afterwards saying, you know, it was one of the best games they'd seen at Wembley in years because we really went at it. The football was good. There was no holding back. We were both creating chances. Um, and we, we managed to get back into the game. And I thought we deserved it in the end. I know uh, George Undar skipped past me and he, the one was bound for the top corner and, and Kevin Poole pulled it out of the bag somehow. I don't know how he did it. But, you know, we uh, we, we went on and, and, and did the business. And I, I just remember... <clears throat> the extra time. I mean, there's obviously the thing about the goal with Zelko coming on the pitch, which and it did seem to you know everyone was like you know what's going off here. We'd not talked about it. I don't re- I don't remember because someone asked me this the, the, the other week and I don't remember us ever talking about it. Although in training, Spider was great at saving penalties. Yeah. So just, you know, just so I, for I listeners so who don't know, Pooley. yeah, for listeners who don't know, just for listeners who don't know that story, Kevin Poole was substituted with one minute yeah, of extra yeah. time remaining. Because you yeah. had a, a six foot eight Australian keeper on the bench, Zelko Kalak, um, yeah. obviously coming in just for penalties, but then, you know, some, something happened immediately afterwards that you were involved in. Yeah, you know, like I say, it was everyone looked. I mean, you know, people said it always it unsettled the Palace players. I think it unsettled us, to be honest. I mean, I felt for Pooley for one, who we used to call Pooley the cat because he was so agile, but we called. Zelko, he was called the spider just because he was all arms and legs and he had a house in Leicester and he had to have all the door frames made bigger so he, so he didn't bang his head. Because <laughs> I, I think Muzzy, Muzzy uh, bought it off him and, and, you know, Muzzy looked like a dwarf in these big door frames. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, the ball comes in and I think I went up with one of the strikers and, you know, people asked me, did I edit or was it him? And I think we both, you can see the spin on the ball. We were so tired. You know, it was like we were sapped of all energy. We both made an effort. And we've both sort of connected with it at the same time. And Claridge isn't even in the right position. And he just sort of, he sort of moves into it. Uh, and it just sat up perfect for him. And it, it, it literally, when the, you know, people say it happened in slow motion, it just, it was like an eternity. He struck it and, and no one moved, including Nigel Martin, who was just absolutely, it wrong-footed him totally. He was rooted and just, he literally watched, you can see him watching it sailing straight into the top corner. So, And then we just all went crackers. And the thing is, we went crackers and I'd sprinted over and we were all celebrating. And I just remember being so out of breath. And I, I, I thought there was about four or five minutes left and I thought, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. You know, I was absolutely struggling, you know, for a breath and what have you. And, uh, uh, but fortunately, you know, they, they, they kicked off and, uh, and they blew and that was it. And it was just like the, the best feeling, I think. I, I have so... I have really vivid memory of that uh, substitution pool coming off for for Kalak. He he went on to play thirty eight times for AC Milan in the mid two thousands, including yeah, a few champ- yeah. Champions League games. Any memories of of the big keeper? Yeah, I mean he was funny. He was a massive gambler. We used to fleece him at cards <laughs> on some away trips. Yeah, we used to we used to play a funny game called Bury and. God, he 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 do his orchestrals in on some trips, and you know we might be only going like an hour and a half up to Tranmere, and he'd probably lost a thousand quid. But uh, I think, unfortunately for Zelko, he came in and he didn't do that well. I think he got he had a, a a bad game at Wolves, and this was before my time. But you know, and I, I don't remember really playing with him, and I think a few of the lads were saying, "Oh, he's come in, and you know, he's he's made a couple of you know mistakes, and you know, Pooley was in, in a team when I arrived, and you know, Pooley's form was, you know, I think that." The way that the back four and the keeper, not just because of myself, was in it, we really had a great understanding on the pitch. Uh, we sort of really clicked well. So the first game I played against Sheffield United, we played like three centre-halves, which I'd played before at, uh, at Chef Wednesday quite frequently. So I don't know if that was in the gaffer's thinking. But then um, we got a few players back in. I think Walsh came back in and we went to we went to a back four 
Uh, it was Simon Grayson, myself, Steve Walsh and Mickey Whitlow. And we really, really just clicked as a four. We were very difficult to beat, very difficult to play against. Didn't give, um, you know, opponents much time and, you know, put the rest of the team, you know, the Lennons and the Izzets and, you know, the Eskies and the Gary Parkers. And, you know, it just seemed like the, the team just really clicked into place for that final running. Mm. So you've beaten Palace in the last minute of extra time at Wembley to get promoted to the Premier League. We already know that you boys like a night out. Talk us through the celebrations <laughs> from the from the mat, from the pitch to the dressing room to the coach to the pub. <laughs> well, you know, someone asked me about this the other day, and what, I, you probably wouldn't believe what I'm, what I'm going to tell you. But we uh, so we go into the changing rooms. There's beer and champagne. They've got the big massive baths at Wembley. And then we're up in the players' bar, a few more pints, and then obviously we've got trays of beer on the uh, <clears throat> on the bus. And amazing going up the M1, they were like all nearly every bridge had Leicester fans on with flags, just waiting for the coach to come past and um, you know and, and, and wave at us. It was you know quite. A, I think when we left Leicester to go down there, it was like well, the last one out of Leicester turned the lights off because it was just deserted. It seemed like everyone, you know, had, had gone to Wembley. And we went back up to the, I think it was the Sketchley Grange at Hinkley, which is where we were having like a, an after-do. And I remember going up there and uh, my dad and my stepmom came back and Barry Pierpoint actually sorted them out there and then some accommodation. And, you know, uh, they could sit and eat, you know, a meal uh, with us all. So that was, you know, really... And that was just what the club was like, and particularly Barry. You know, such a great bloke and, um, you know, and it had that family feel to it. And I do remember, and it must have been like three, half past three in the morning, and I went to the bar and I ordered four quadruple brandies for myself and four quadruple whiskies for my dad. Um, and how we, you know, I, 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 this was after everything else and it was like, she's, and I remember waking, I don't get hangovers, I don't get headaches and stuff like that. I remember waking up in the morning uh, my girlfriend at the time was an army wife. She, we had to go up to Liverpool to get a passport. We were going on holiday, the, you know, the next day. And I woke up and there was not a single drop of moisture in my mouth. <laughs> and I was like <laughs> gasping. And I literally got onto the rang reception and I, a jug of ice water, please, like that. And brought that up. And there was just nothing there. And like, I'm normally one of those guys, you know, if, if I'm with the missus, I'll drive everywhere. But she had to drive. It was horrendous conditions, yeah. and we had to drive all the way to Liverpool. And I actually missed the, you know, the bus trip around the city the day after. I was just in absolute tatters. <laughs> We'd gone up there, got the passport. Probably couldn't have got down in time, so we went back to uh, Sheffield, packed our bags, and uh, we were we were on holiday the next day. So the week before um, the playoff final, the gaffer takes us away to Bournemouth, and we're literally out, you know, on the lash the week before the final. And we're in a nightclub, and the Palace players are in the same nightclub, and they're all drinking cokes. And we're all, <laughs> there. So we're, we're all there, worst their shirts hanging out, uh, going, "Hey, lads, you're all right." And we've all we've all got pints or bottles of cider or uh, one or two of the lads knew each other, so they had a quick chat. But I just thought it was quite interesting that you know we were absolutely you know on it on a lads' night out, and they were just sort of. Sampling, sampling a few uh, a few Pepsis in the run up to. I mean, it wasn't anywhere close, but I would say it was in the you know the week before and again, ju- just how we were at the time. And you know, like I say it carried us across the line many a time. So obviously frowned on now, but uh, it stood us in good stead in in the team spirit levels. 
Richie, we are a top draw podcast, if I do say so myself. So it makes sense for us to have a top draw sponsor. And we've got one. This episode of Searching for Shinies with Julian Watts is brought to you in partnership with the Northeast's premier fitted wardrobe company, Top Draw Fitted Furniture, based out of North Tyneside. Yes, it's great to have them aboard. Great that they've chipped in um, as we've been pining for some support. And we asked what the business do and if they'd like to get involved. And they said quite simply, we would. Um, do you like that one, Ketch? little pun for you there. Yeah, you've, na- you've nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was a real treat. Um, yep. No, come on. Right, let's sweep under the carpet. Let's move on. Ketch, tell me more about them. Yeah, we need to varnish over that segment and, and, and move past it, <laughs> to be honest. I want to tell you about... I want to tell you about Top Draw Fitted Furniture. Established in 2005, they do made-to-measure fitted furniture. No standard sizes. Everything is made to suit your space. Alcove units... Wardrobes, understair, pull-out storage. God, I'd love some of that. If I had stairs, I would I would boog them, but I don't. Uh, I live in a flat. Uh, find them on Facebook or Instagram. Their Facebook is Top Draw Fitted Furniture. They're on Instagram. You can see all their fantastic work. Follow them on Instagram, Top Draw Fitted Furniture. And the website is, of course, topdrawfurniture.co.uk. So mm. hit them up if you need some fitted furniture. You need to get mm, top draw. Mm. Um, and the best thing is they are looking after you, listener, with a discount code, exclusive discount code for searching for Chinese listeners. And the best thing about it is we can pick what the discount code wow. is. Huh. So I thought, Richie, I'm gonna thrash out some ideas okay. for things. If you if you quote if you quote this code during your top draw for finisher quote. The guys there will apply a ten percent discount to your order. So, Richie, anything spring to mind that you, the, the listeners can say to Top Draw to activate this ten percent discount? What can it be? Anything? Anything we choose? It can be, you know, anything. I think it should be, you know, nineties related. Searching for shows. Does it need to, does it need to be Watsy related? Email. I mean, for example, how about David Pleat's satin sheets? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit weird. It is a bit weird, isn't it? Okay. It's a bit weird. Bedroom related, which is you know wardrobes in the bedroom, um, maybe anything. Who else do you talk about? Trevor, Trevor Francis, not for me. Mm, a bit boring, a bit bit like Trevor himself. Okay, a bit boring. something a bit more entertaining. How about um, mm. this is Kate Gillespie. You're listening to Searching for Shinies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a bang on. That's bang on, but not so easy to say. In the okay, something shorter, um, something punchier. Um, yeah. How about it's heart with an A. <laughs> you know, so Keith Gillespie and Ian Hart in the exact same area of Ireland. They are, yeah, they are. I mean, to be honest, listener, you need to listen to series one of the podcast for the, any of this oh, to make sense. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, okay. so that's just what you think. Heart with an heart with an E, or we could just go with searching for shinies. Searching for shinies. That that would be the sensible option. Um, but we're not very sensible. Podcast, okay, it's heart, it's heart with an E. That's the answer. Okay. So, listen, if you say to Top Draw Fitted Furniture when they come around to do your quote, it's heart with an E, you will get 10% courtesy of Searching for Chinese. Don't say we don't look after 11% if you do it in an Irish accent. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We better move on before this, you know, gets expensive. Here's part two of Julian Watts. So we have reached ninety six, ninety seven, which obviously is our season of focus. You're, you're in the you're back in the Premier League. You're established as a as a key man for Leicester. Can you remember how you were feeling at the start of that season? 
just excited, you know. But again, it was a funny one that Martin, you know, again, now they do so much homework. You know, we sat in that changing room at Sunderland away on the first game of the season and you didn't know if you were playing or not. You know, that's how Martin, you know, and that's the, again, for me, I'd rather know that I'm playing, but some players like that pressure of being on tenterhooks to, you know, to um, to sort of, it might elevate you in some way. So I remember sat in the changing room and the first sort of person was the keeper and we'd signed Casey Keller and uh, Pooley, who was like, like I say, unbelievable. And they both played odd games in pre-season, took it in turns. And the first thing he said was, you know, Pooley, if you're a few inches higher, you'd have, uh, you'd be, what a fantastic keeper you'd be. And, but you know, I'm going with Casey today. And, you know, I'm sat in the changing room, like jaw-dropping moment, thinking, oh, Christ almighty. Uh, and we'd also signed Spencer Pryor from Norwich, who the gaffer had had there. And, you know, I didn't know if I was playing, but, you know, we'd played a back four all last season. Spenner was really quick, which the gaffer liked. You know, Walsh was Walsh, he was always going to play. Uh, and he named the team and we we played with the three at the back. So I, I was in, you know, and but didn't really know until that point whether we would be or not. So, uh, you know, and that, that's, again, that's another thing that sort of I found quite difficult to cope with. And again, that's just, you know, my sort of uh, failings, if you like. But, um, yeah, so, you know, once obviously we started, uh, we had a pretty good start, nil-nil at Sunderland. I think we beat Southampton 2-1 at home. I mean, the season got a lot harder, but uh, we, we didn't have, you know, uh, a bad start um, so you know it was all exciting stuff for me I mean, my one disappointment was that we played Chef Wednesday away live on Sky again didn't have a good game got brought off probably at fault for one of the goals um, so you know there, there, were, there were bad times as well but uh, we were just finding our feet and you know we did as we did we had the cup run and, and, and stayed up so it was uh, it was a really good season I wanted to ask you about a game at the end of October I'm a Newcastle fan Julian and you played Newcastle at home at the end of October. This oh, was the game no. after the game after Newcastle had famously beaten Man United five nil in the league. Yeah, and yeah, you won two nil. Yeah, was, we did. Was that? Uh, Go on. Um, you said, Shearer "Oh no, Shearer did No, Shearer didn't play. No, I thought yeah, you were going to bring up the four four three the four three up at your place up at Newcastle. Oh, we can we're, do that one. With, we can absolutely do <laughs> we that one. Three, no, no, that, that was live on Sky, I think. Yeah. We were, it's replayed now. We, we were 3-1 yeah. up with 15 minutes to go and lost 4-3. It was absolutely horrific. The gaffer you put, was yeah. like catatonic after the game. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Just, that's, I mean, so. to be honest, I wasn't going to ask you about that, but let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> the, 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 my abiding... So that game was yeah you you you've said it right you you took the lead it's a James Bond but the be, the best bit about that was Kenny Daglish was the manager of Newcastle then and Andy Gray was the commentator on Sky and when Shearer got the winner his commentary was famously go on Alan get your hat trick Alan make Kenny happy Alan <laughs> which I absolutely loved I loved that commentary did you did you play the full ninety minutes of that one. Yes, I did, yeah. I mean, we were hanging on. It was like we were punch drunk for the last 10, 15 minutes. I mean, I think Muzzy always admits it. He ended up playing left wing back. You know, a few people had gone off and you know, what have you. And he, he took a throw in and, he, you know, it didn't work out. And they went straight down, you know, and scored. But, you know, we, we, we could have done a lot better, uh, obviously. And we were, we were disappointed that the gaffer just went absolutely mental at us. And, you know, it would have, would have been a fantastic victory because we went one down. You know, Newcastle were unbelievable at the time. Uh, I remember Emil breaking away and scoring. You know, when we got to three-one, it was like the fans were going crackers. And you know, the away days were always the better days when you win because 
you know, you get the you get the absolute nutters who are following you, and the you know the atmosphere is great when you. I always quite like that. Backs to the wall, away from home. Um, you know, feeling that we had we had such great following with the supporters as well. So, uh, but yeah, that, that that was a bad day. But the, the two nil. Uh, funny stories that the my uh, my missus's family were bookmakers and. I think they did quite well out of me that year. I said we'd stay up and we did and they had a bet on that. And that, I remember that he'd ring me in the morning of games and like, you know, how do you think? And I, I think we knew Shearer wasn't playing so it was going to be Ferdinand mm. and someone else up front. Beardsley. Uh, and I, I, yeah, and I just said like, I said, I don't know why. I said, I really fancy us. And, they, and then and we were like ridiculous odds in those days to win games. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a funny one. But we were quite comfortable. I mean, they came at us and they had all the players... But we uh, and we were one nil up, and I remember I think it was Emil scored right at the death. They were sort of pressing us that much, and they were that high up the pitch. You know, he just latched onto and broke away and went round the keeper. And uh, you know, when that goes in at two nil, the ground goes absolutely mental. And it, it, I mean, I, I've got fantastic memories of certain games, and that that's definitely you know one of those that you just remember well. That you know you played well, you put a shift in. The lads were together, and we came out the other side and beat a very very you know good team at the time. So yeah, it was a good day. Nice bit on Newcastle there. Now, Richie is a big Borough fan, so we'd really love it if you could talk us through the cup run in great detail. Um, We're doing a bit of research on you. Can you just clear something up for us? A bit of research. We use a website. I use a website called Transfer Market, which goes into a lot of detail about all the individual games you played. Transfer Market says you weren't named in any of the squads for the, the League Cup final games. But my understanding no. is you were named in all of the squads except the cup finals. Is that right? Um, so, I mean, it was like very disappointing for myself and uh, Jamie Lawrence. We we played every round bar the final, and it was in the days of two subs. I don't know if it was two subs and a keeper, but we we were actually in the squad, so we travelled. But um, yeah, we we weren't on the bench. Or I mean, again, something daft that we did. So when we we go down, so within a year at Wembley, I've had my best day. You know, and a year later, probably my worst day because um, you know just the disappointment. And I'd sort of got wind of it. So in the in the semi final, um, I'd sort of I made a mistake for the goal. You know, on my hands. And after that, I actually think I played well, but it was it was a bit of a glaring error. But we were playing a back three, and when we played Middlesbrough in the league, Janino absolutely ran riot. So the gaffer was looking at. Uh, Pontus Karmark, who's Swedish defender, excellent <laughs> defender, man marking Janino, which meant you know one of the back three was going to miss out, and I, I sort of, I wasn't daft. I knew it would probably be me if we went down that route, and it was. So myself and Jamie Lawrence were in the, and again didn't know the team till an hour before kickoff. So we named the team. Myself and Jamie weren't in it. Both absolutely gutted. So we did what any you know good professional should do. Went straight up to the players bar at Wembley and we I think we drank five or six pints of Guinness in an hour and uh, then made his way and if, 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 if there's any footage of it so the players bar is right at the other end from where the tunnel was behind the goal and we'd walk through and we we're walking through all the Leicester fans and they were saying what are you doing up here why aren't you playing all this kind of thing so that was a bit traumatic but we went back down to the tunnel so we had to walk all the way back through the stand down through the tunnel back out and they started playing the national anthem just as me and him got to where the goal was. So me and him have stood there like a couple of lemons behind the, the goal where the changing rooms are while everyone else is lined up and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, we were. it was a bad day for, for me and him. Like I say, we played every round and, you know, he'd been a wing back, but we weren't playing that system. You know, I'd been in that system as well. And it was just, uh, it was a tough day. But, you know, like I say, I've had some great days and you have some tough days and probably that was the toughest. I feel sick talking about this. <laughs> 
I was I, I, I was eleven at the time, and I was there. But it was my first trip to Wembley, and, and do you know what I remember? I, the day got off to a bad start. So I remember, not only were we staying in a really snuggly hotel uh, in London, awful hotel, but um, we were sitting on quite low. We were sitting quite low down at Wembley, and in those days, I had a section of seats which didn't have backs on them. I don't even remember them. They were just like little. I don't know. <laughs> I think the idea was you stood for the game. Um, Anyway, I took my coat off, I went to the loo, I came back and someone had spilt an entire bottle of Pepsi all over my coat. Absolutely fuming about it. It wasn't you, was it? Just, as you were smuggling your way through the crowd. Maybe it was Guinness and not Pepsi. No, no. If, it. If it, yeah, was it definitely if it was Pepsi? Guinness, it could have been me, yeah. If it was Pepsi, <laughs> definitely not me or Jamie. <laughs> yeah, Pontus Carmack's name is Mud in Teesside for that very reason. And we've talked about him in depth on the podcast before. It was very interesting, Pontus. See, this thing they did in the Swedish squad where, so if you were jockeying someone with the ball, I mean, you're always coached and trained all your life, you know, look, look at the ball, keep your eye on the ball. Pontus, had, he would look straight at the player's face because what he could see was if they were going to go one way or the other, the movement of the head gave that away and he'd literally look straight at you but then glance down at the ball every now and then. But he was looking straight at you all the time and it, it's just something they developed at the time. And uh, yeah, it was unusual, but... I mean, you know, he, he did his job to the end of the game. I mean, it really sort of killed the game. And I don't, I don't remember either game being that fantastic, if I'm honest. They were a bit sort of stalemates, you know, and it was uh, a bit of a battle. There was not, you know, a lot of football played. And, and that, you know, played a big part in it, obviously, stopping your better players. Yeah, he ruined it. And to be honest with you, <laughs> if if a player is staring you in the face while you're trying to jink past them, he's, he's going to put you off. That is that yeah. is creepy. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's, it is, but he used to do it in training, and it was like, right, same point, that's what you're doing. And he just said, oh, we'll do it in the Swedish squad. you know. And then it worked, and he, he sort of explained to her how it is. He said, like, if I'm looking at you, and you're going to go one way, that's your first giveaway before you know before your legs move, your body starts to go. And he says, that we've just done a lot of work on it, and you know, he, he, he could do it. I mean, I've, I've tried it myself. Like, I think I fell over. It was like a bit more complicated than I'd, uh, than I'd anticipated. So, uh, yeah, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but he, you know, he nailed it, and obviously... You know, he nailed it on that on the on the two games. Mm. So, just to remind listeners, the game went to extra time. Ravenelli scored, and then the last minute Heskey scored to take it to a, a replay at Hillsborough, I believe. Um, and the player I want to talk about is Steve Claridge. Now, we've mentioned him at the start of the podcast, but he scored the winner in the playoff final. He scores the winner in the League Cup replay in the final. That season, he scored twelve goals in the league, which is on par with Bergkamp. Collymore, Janino, all of whom were stars of the Premier League. Is he is he a bit underrated? Because that is some that is a pretty strong year he's had there. Yeah, I mean, he, he, another very very funny character. I mean, he didn't really come out a lot. He used to he used to pull up to the training ground. We'd start training at half ten, and he'd pull up at like twenty nine minutes past, jump out of his car with his jogging bottoms and boots already on and his training top and just run straight onto the pitch. Where, you know, and if you look, if you open his boot, he's full of the absolute pile of shite that he carried everywhere with him. Be, you know, all clothes, training kits, boots, all sorts in there. It was like, you know, a mobile hovel. But, uh, and he, he just, and he'd literally get in the car and, and bog off straight after training. So, he was, but he was, a, he was a funny guy, great company when you, you had him out. On the plane side, it, it was funny with Steve because he wasn't particularly quick. But he had this fitness level. He, he could do something like 17, 16 or 17 on the bleep test. And if you were doing like fast laps, which we, we often did in those days, um, he would, you know, if I did a, I might do like a 52 and then another 53 and then it might be a 55. And, you know, as, you, as you're doing more and more, you're sort of tiring a bit. 
and he would just and he might start at 55 but every lap would be 55 so he's you know his recovery and his fitness and I think that's where you know he wore defenders down because he, he was going like that for 90 minutes whereas their you know their sort of levels of stamina were dropping off he started at a level and just continued flatline right the way through the game and you know so towards the end of games he really came into his own and you know, it was just a nuisance. He was always there, you know, and he chipped in, like you say, with a, you know, with a fair amount. I mean, the biggest thing he regrets is telling people that he shinned it in the final, uh, the playoffs, because mm. he actually, he, his, his story now is that he struck it ever so well. <laughs> but he told, he, he told people at the time, and it's, it's just stuck with him ever since. But now he was a, he was an interesting player. He, you know, you never thought he'd go to a big club. But I mean, you know, I think we spent a million on him, which at the time was a pretty decent fee and, you know, and he was definitely instrumental in the promotion and the, you know, staying up after that. Mm. And I guess the reason he managed to play so long was because he's so fit. I mean, I think he's probably in his fifties. He's still playing now. I think he's just signed for Palace. So he's, he's had over 30, (laughs) he's had over 30 clubs on his Wikipedia page. There is 30 seasons on there. That's a lot of yeah, pre-seasons. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, you could see him play now and still at a decent, you know, level of fitness because you know that's just just how how, how he was built. Like you know, you you could I could beat him for the first few, but after that, God, he was just like cruising around at the same speed, and like I say, your levels were dropping. But yeah, and he, he great character, and he did have a he'd had a couple of really good seasons there. So so you the first Premier League season, you played most of the games, but then. Unfortunately, it ended badly. They missed out on the cup final, which was a huge disappointment. And then the start of the second Premier League season, you went on loan to Crew. But then all of a sudden, you're recalled and you're starting at home to Atletico Madrid in the UEFA Cup. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd, I'd got, I'd got, um, I'd, I've had, I've had some like bad. I've got really sort of dodgy ankles. I've, I've just had a replacement a couple of years ago now, so I, I'd had lots of clean-outs because I'd got like osteoarthritis, which is like wear and tear, and I was just coming back from injuring an ankle in pre-season, so I went on, you know, I went out on loan to Crew, uh, which interestingly, my first game for them was supposed to be live on Sky on the Sunday, and it was the day that uh, Princess Diana died, and I got all the way to Crew, and the they called the game off. So yeah, so I, that was that had to be replayed, but yeah, I, I sort of had a, a season there, which was interesting with Dario Gradi. Uh, sorry, a month there. Came back and I knew I was in the squad, but not expecting anything. I think what it was that Marshall had been filling in at centre back any time they needed, while I'd not been there or not been fit. But against Madrid away, apparently caused them all sorts of problems playing up front with his, you know, physically, you know, with his height and what have you. So the gaffer wanted to start him up front. So I remember being in the changing room, and it's the same kitman that's there now, Paul. I can't remember his surname, but Paul, really good lad. And Steve Walford said to him, "Like, where's Jules' shirt?" And he went, oh, it's at the training ground. And he goes, well, you better fetch it because he's started. And I was like looking at Steve Hoffman thinking, oh, my God. So, uh, yeah, so I was like literally, it was great for me just coming back to playing that and straight in at the deep end. And uh, it was a real bad night for us, to be honest, and not not our, not our doing. And I don't think the ref, I was talking to someone about it the other day, I don't think the ref refed again after that game. Really? Um, so, yeah, there, yeah was, there, but, was, there was two red cards in the game and, and one of them was for Gary Parker who got a second yellow for trying to take a quick free kick at nil-nil. Yeah, yeah. And do you know at the time we felt we were on top, you know, I mean, they had, I remember playing, I think the guy up front was Kiko. He used to whistle instead of shout for the ball, which was interesting. And, <laughs> uh, they had a lad called Jose. I know it was it was quite weird. He'd be behind you and you'd hear him whistle. Oh, there he is. And uh, they had the lad Jose Marie whose shirt I've, I've still got now. Uh, but we we sort of like grew into the game and we felt like, you know, we'd got a foothold and 
and then that happened and you know parts get sent off and it just felt like such a an injustice you know it's such an innocuous thing he puts the ball down and you know it's old keep the ball moving you know keep the tempo up you know quick quick free kick so he's he's literally put it down took it and then gets sent off and I think it really knocked the stuffing out as you know as well as going down to 10 men it uh, you know it was it felt like an uphill battle it was a real negative for us on the night and uh, unfortunately it proved so in the end but I, I'm I'd have to do I'd have to look it up but the guy I was speaking I was on on another Leicester chat thing last week and I'm sure he said he, he never refed again after that uh, because it was so controversial how he refed the game just a couple on your some of your teammates at Leicester during this time that uh, we're interested in. Graham Fenton is someone that uh, has been formally approached to come on the show, but I have a feeling he doesn't want to talk about the 90s because he's a Geordie and he scored twice for Blackburn uh, when Newcastle were going for the title and uh, dented the, the Newcastle's title hopes pretty seriously, to be honest with you. Do you remember Graham? Yeah, I do. Really good lad. Uh, and I think, I mean, one of the things that I think Martin and John Robertson did is they brought players in and, you know, I don't think... You know, like I say, myself, definitely not a world beater, but he brought players in that fitted into how he played and the squad, you know, when he brought Ian Marshall in, a few eyebrows raised, but Marshall was absolutely fantastic. You know, Robbie Savage came in, Matt Elliott, you know, all the players and they fitted in. And for some reason, again, you know, it's like I talked about the lads at Wednesday, it never really worked for Graham. And I thought Graham, I remember him at Blackburn thinking, you know, what a cracking striker. And when we signed him, it was like, bloody hell, that's a bit of a coup, you know, getting him in and... You know, I think probably, you know, he wasn't shy and having a few words with the gaffer. So, you know, whether I don't think they got on great, if I'm honest, I don't remember it too clearly. But for some reason, he, he, he again, he didn't have many runs of games and he, he, it didn't happen for him. You know, he, he didn't get the goals as far as I remember. And I just remember feeling like he had a bad time. And, you know, uh, there's no malice in that. I got on great with him. He was like, he was a funny lad and probably played... Uh, too many reserve games with me than he liked and I would have liked either but uh, yeah it wasn't you know it wasn't it, it didn't work out for him at Leicester unfortunately yeah Neil Lennon's a, a huge you know British football personality now and at the end of the 96 sorry at the end of the 97 98 season he disgracefully headbutted Shearer's boot trying to get him <laughs> sent off you might not have been at the club at that time but do you remember that one I do, you know, I do. And it was like, you know, they just said if it had been anyone else, it had been a red card, but it was Alan Shearer. You know, it <laughs> well, was, uh, I couldn't believe it. I mean, for me, it was just like a no-brainer decision. But uh, <laughs> if, he, yeah, if he'd been yeah. red card, if Shearer had been red carded, he would have missed the 98 Cup final, the FA Cup final. So uh, it was so a very you, lucky one. It was a heaven to now, Yeah, you think, back, you think back now, and then you wonder if the ref knew that. Yeah. Daft as it sounds, you know, it's amazing what people... You know, knowing hindsight and stuff like that, yeah. but yeah, I, I do remember that as it goes, and we, I think, we were all bloody outraged, if I'm honest. Robbie Savage was he as annoying it then as he is now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sav. I mean, he's yeah. done ever so well in his TV TV career afterwards, but you know, not not the bright, not the sharpest uh, tool in the box, but uh, you know, a funny lad. I mean, he was the butt of a lot of jokes. I think. Uh, you know when we were when we were travelling and on the coaches and stuff like that. But you know, he again, you know, he brought something to the team. Uh, you know, his, his energy and his, you know, he, he probably couldn't fight his way out of a paper bag. But you know, his aggression on the pitch, uh, you know, was there for all to see. And he, you know, he caused he upset a lot of teams. He upset a lot of players. And and without you know the Leicester team was at the time, he, he was a perfect fit for us. And you know, um, you know, went on and had a fantastic career. Because I know he, he was disappointed because he was sort of in the class of 92 
that I think won the uh, the Youth Cup, uh, which was always a big thing for clubs to win the Youth Cup uh, in, in England. Uh, and then obviously from that, he was released and he'd been playing with the Nevilles and Beckhams, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then he, he's really, yeah, and he's, he's released and ends ends up at Crewe. But just goes to show, you know, you can see what kind of attitude he's got. He's worked hard and, you know, managed to claw his, fight his way back, did well at Crewe and, and came to, to Leicester. And, you know, the rest of history, he's, uh, he's done very, very well for himself. Let's talk post-Leicester then. You moved on to Bristol City, seemed to have about a year there. And then, and then you went on to Luton where you found a bit of form and became a regular and, um, and seemed to really enjoy your football. Yeah, uh, Bristol, complete car crash for me career-wise. I mean, I went there and I probably earned them. That was my highest wage at, at Bristol. They'd just come into the championship. They had a bit of money. And, uh, I mean, they signed Adiakim Bay, Tony Thorpe, who's a good mate of mine. Uh, I came on a free transfer, which is why I got a, you know, a decent a decent wage out of it. Um, and the, the, it was quite sad, to be honest, because John Ward was the manager. <clears throat> and we had, we had quite a, an iffy start. And... By the time we sort of found the form, what we didn't realise, that there's a guy who became the head coach, Benny Lennartsen, who was a Swedish guy that no one had ever heard of. Uh, and he was already in position. I think he watched five games or so while he was, you know, knowing he was going to be in the chair. And in those five games, we actually turned the form right round. And I think we something like one... In the six games, we won something like one three, drew two and lost one. So the form was back. We were playing well. You know, I think the gaffer once before a home game against Crew walked around the stadium, you know, shaking hands with supporters, ask, you know, answering questions. It was something I'd never seen before or seen again. And but the, the fans loved it, and we came out and I think we beat Crew five two, um, and it, you know it was a great day. And, we, and then the last game that we that we played under John, we played Bolton, who were top of the league, live on Sky on a Friday night, and beat them two one. And then on the Monday morning. And the gaffer comes in and says, yeah, I'm, I've been relieved to my duties. They've asked me if I want to stay in, you know, with the new guy, which I've said no. Uh, but yeah, he, he's he's definitely coming in. And for me, it was it was horrific, absolutely horrific. So we went up to Bradford, lost 5-0, never played again. Um, you know, and I never had a chance or an opportunity, never a discussion of how I could get back in the team. I was literally farmed out, you know, to the reserves. And I remember the guy who I mentioned from Rotherham, came to watch me in a reserve game at Crew with Ronnie Moore as a, with a sort of thing of taking me back there. And I remember we got to Crew. this is in the reserves, and uh, uh, Russell Osman was taking the reserves. And I remember him apologising to me because I wasn't even starting. So I was on the bench for the reserves on Crew's training ground. And, and, and by, I mean, again, maybe unprofessional, but by the time I do get on the pitch, you know, I'm, I'm not in a good place, didn't have a good game, and that, that Rotherham move never came off which you know in you know looking back it would have been a fantastic move for me I'm, I'm from that part of the country I know the club I've been started there so uh, it was just a bad bad season uh, all around for me and there was there was no way I was ever going to play a game after that first game so uh, and then Tony Pulis came in and he made it quite clear you know I trained hard did all the running you know made it very clear that I was not going to get anywhere near the first team uh, and so when I had the chance to uh, I think Luton had signed uh, Effie Soji, uh, but he was banned for the first three games. So they took me on loan. And I actually I, I started, I had a great start to the season uh, and I kept him out of the team. And after, so after the month's loan, you know, they then offered me uh, a contract. And it was probably the best season games-wise I'd had. Like I say, I played 51 games, really enjoyed it. The, the manager treated me. And I don't mean this in a, 
I'm not a big time Charlie, but he treated me out probably a 30 year old footballer who's been about a bit, you know, wanted to be treated. He was, you know, I remember having a couple of dodgy moments in a couple of games and he was, he sort of pulled me in and sort of just had the chat with me saying, come on, what? So you know you're better than this. You know, you need to pull your finger out, blah, blah, blah. You know, he says, and he actually said to me, you know, I've got Sodgy waiting in the wings. Any other manager would probably drop you by now, but, you know, I know I know what, you know, how good you can be and how, you know, good you can be for the team. And it was like a really good chat. And I went out and played the rest of the season, no problem. And I had, you know, like I say, a good season. And it was probably his handling of me that, you know, really helped when I've talked about, you know, bad experiences, you know, I'd had before with other managers. He was the one who, so for me, you know, if someone asked me who my favourite managers, it was Lenny Lawrence, just uh, on, on the way that he, his man management and the way that he managed me personally. In the early 2000s then, you actually had an opportunity to go to Australia and you signed for the fantastically named Northern Spirit. How did that move come about? You're based in North Sydney. It must have been pretty decent actually at the time. It was, yeah, it was. It's a funny story. We, um, I mean, at the time, yeah, I'd sort of seen in my travels when I'd been at Uddersfield on loan, you, you see um, players, you know, driving around with boots in cars pre-season, trying to find a club, trying to find a contract. And that's something I really wouldn't have relished. And, you know, I'd just, I'd, my contract was up at Luton. Uh, obviously, uh, joking here, didn't fancy me at all. Um, so, you know, there was nothing happening there. And then you're sort of waiting for the phone to ring, Um and it, and it didn't, you know, at the time. But before that, my agent had rang me in March and said that, you know, Northern Spirit had been in touch, keen to talk to you. It's a three-year contract, and I was, you know, knocking on, I think I was 30 that season. So it was a three-year contract, which was, like, amazing, which I didn't think I'd get. Nothing else had transpired. So, um, and funnily enough, I, like I say, my, my now wife was my then girlfriend, and she was driving down to Luton. And I phoned her up, and I'm like... Uh, we didn't have kids at the time, so it was easy. But I just said, "Oh, hey, my agent's been on. Uh, it's three year contract, but it's in Australia, Sydney, blah, this, that, and the other. You know, we'll have to have a talk about it when you when you get down." And she was an hour later uh, getting down to my flat in Luton, and she walked through the door and she went, "Fuck it, let's go." And, and that oh, was the decision made there yeah, and then on the spot. So I. did all the paperwork, uh, did all the pre you know contracts and all that kind of stuff, and. Uh, like I said, I think seven days before I was due to fly out, um, I, f- oh, I forgot the guy's name. It was the, it was the Wickham manager, Sanchez. Was it Laurie Sanchez? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he actually rang me, but it was seven days before. That, and that was the thing. That was the predicament as a, a you know, a pro at the wrong wrong end of your career. That, you know, waiting around. I mean, you know, I'd have been jumping jumping on that if, if I hadn't got anything else sorted. So, um, but that was the only sort of interest I had. So, but it was a done deal anyway. And, you know, like I say, a week later, I was flying out to Oz uh, to, to get myself settled down there. And uh, the club was, owned, well, owned by Rangers uh, and they were looking for, you know, a cheaper way of getting the next, you know, uh, Mark Viduka or Harry Cool at the time. But sadly, none of the younger players wanted to come over to Scotland. They were all, you know, just due to the changing climate, which sounds ridiculous, but that's how they were. You know, me, there was myself, there was Ian Ferguson, who used to captain Rangers out there. Uh, another lad called Stuart Petrie, who played at Dunfermline. And we were just saying to him, this opportunity is massive for you. You need to get yourselves over there, guys. You know, sort your heads out. And, you know, it's a fantastic big club. You'd have a chance, this, that and the other. And they, no player ever went over to Rangers. So after the second season, uh, Rangers just pulled the money out and said, you know, we're not doing this anymore. We're not getting anything out of it. 
uh, and that's when you know the club went pear shaped. Uh, <clears throat> my wife was pregnant with our second and young, like youngest daughter, and we weren't getting paid. We had a new chairman who was promises the world, and you know it, it never really materialised. Uh, and myself and the club captain and another player boycotted a trip to China in protest because we weren't getting paid, uh, and that just soured everything. And uh, it went on like that for the season. The team finished the season. I had to claim some money back from the Aussie government because I had to claim a quarter of my pay. That's all I could claim. Uh, but I'd literally not got paid, you know, during the season. When we were stuck out there at the point, I went to see the chairman with my wife and said, listen, you know, we need to go home now if because we, we've got a little one already and we're heavily pregnant. We need to fly now while we can or if not, you know, we're going to be stuck here for some time. And he, he just said, oh, everything's going to be all right. I've got things in place. Your wages will get paid. And they never did. And, you know, we uh, we flew home eight weeks after Charlotte was born. So as soon as we could fly home, we were we were on the first flight home with a one-year-old and, and an eight-week-old baby. And to be fair, you know, everyone says, why did you come back? And I literally couldn't wait to get on the tarmac at Manchester because it was such a bad experience. And unbelievably, the league actually collapsed as well at the same time. And the league had a year off. Um, and it's obviously now been reinvented, uh, and, it, and it's going great guns. It's a fantastic league now. But it all sort of three years there started really well. Loved the lifestyle. Living in Sydney was like unbelievable, amazing place. Uh, and then it just went sour that last year, and it, I fell out with football. If I'm honest with you, so I came home at 33, just 34, uh, and I should have really looking back, um, you know, gone and gone and looked for a club at whatever level. Uh, but I, I didn't, and you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And I like to say I don't have regrets because at the time I really was off it. You know, I just thought I've had enough. Let's crack on in life, do something different. And uh, you know, like I say, I look back back now, and it's probably the uh, the wrong decision. But it just ended very, very sourly, unfortunately. Julian, we ask every player who comes on our podcast. Uh, for their shiny player. So the shiny sticker when you used to collect stickers was the most coveted. Who is the best player you ever played with or against during your career? I always feel really lucky that at the time the Premier League kicked off and obviously, you know, we'd had Gaza going to Italy, people going to Spain and then they were all coming this way at the time. So I played against, uh, you know, Viali, uh, Zola, Good Johnson, Cantona, you know, Beckham Giggs. So there's been... And I, I always, funnily enough, I always find the one who, well, the worst afternoon I think I ever had, so it was two players, uh, it was Arsenal, and it was Ian Wright and Dennis Bergkamp, uh, and I had an absolute torrid time. It was it was red hot, we were in the cup final, he rested one or two of the lads, uh, I, end, I ended up playing, so I wasn't obviously taking part in the cup final, uh, and it was a real bad day at the office. The thing with Dennis is he was actually, he had all the ability, but he was actually quite quick as well, uh, and he showed me his uh, heels a few times, and it was just... I just couldn't wait for it to be over. And if you know Ian Wright, you know, he's he's very, very chirpy and he was on at me. I, I sort of knew him, you know, not very well, but quite well through playing with Mark Bright at uh, Chef Wednesday. Mm. Uh, and he was in my ear all afternoon. Jules, Jules, he's having you right up here, son, and all this kind of stuff. I was like, please, just leave me alone. But obviously he didn't. And he's, you know, he's in your ear for 90 minutes. And, you know, he was just such a pain in the backside. He never stood still. So, you know, as far as, you know, there's a lot of very good players I've played against, but I just remember that being as mm. sorry an afternoon as, as I've ever had. Mm. And we also uh, ask every... Yeah, go on, you've got one more? Well, I was going to say played with again. You know, I think Chris Waddle had some of his finest moments there. There was a there was a, a Dan Prochescu at the time, Roland Nielsen. 
John Sheridan, you know, and then I go on to Leicester and obviously played with Emil and, and Muzzy and what have you. So I think there's there's too many to pin it down. I, I suppose in, in the time, you'd have to say, you know, Chris Waddle, he, he just was, he's iconic. You know, I've sat, like I say, chuckling watching him take the mickey out of players. So uh, uh, like a good lad and a, and a fantastic footballer. Listeners, that was Julian Watson. Wow, what an episode. First things first, because it's a question mark I've got, in relation to Sean Gota and his infamous Man City chant, what does Watsy think feeding the goat is? He referred to, he said that he hopes he never did it. Now, we all know that feeding the goat <laughs> is, is like putting a cross in for Gota to finish, but Watsy didn't seem to get that one. Mm, feeding him assists, of course, mm. Julian. Listening back to the episode, I was really gutted when we were speaking about Sean Gota because I re- I missed an open goal joke that I'm really, really annoyed about and I want to say it now. You said that he only had 20? 20 caps in 17 years or something. And then what he said, oh, I wonder what happened to the rest. At that point, I should have said, oh, maybe, maybe he lost them in the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> I really, really wish I'd said that at the time, and I just thought <gasps> thought that when I was listening back. But the moment's gone now. And you've uh, said it now. You've said it now. You've said it now. Yeah, it's, I know. I was good. Really beating myself up about that. But you, you move mm. on. God. I'm good for you because that's a slobber knocker. <laughs> Moving on. More importantly, what a great guy Julian Watts is. Very, very down to earth, humble. Um, he gave a really honest interview documenting a career filled with ups and downs. He was constantly fighting for his place. So it was great to get some insight into what it's like when you're not always in the manager's plans, but he seemed to take it all in stride. Um, so yeah, thanks, Wattsy. Really love chatting to you. And you know, I, I wish we could stay in touch. I think I want to go for a beer. I want to go for a beer with him. I want to go for a Guinness. Just, just maybe, one. Maybe we can. Yeah, just one. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have. No, I'd love to. I'd love to have a pina colada with him in Sinatra is important. That's true. <laughs> um, so, catch. Obviously, so much chat with Wattsy. We had to brush mm. past a few things. There's a few honourable mentions of Chefwed greats that I want to touch upon now, if you don't mind. Yeah, please um, do. And as you know, I love a, a, a story about a, a foreigner that's come come along and been a bit of a character. So I'm going to give you a couple. Dejan Stefanovic. Okay, he played. He played when he was at Sheffield. He played second fiddle to Des Walker and to Emerson Tome in a, like a four year spell where he played seventy odd times, which wasn't enough for him to get his work permit renewed, leading to his release. After a three year spell in Holland, he came back to England with Pompey where he got player of the season and was later made captain by Alan Perran in 2005-2006, which is a bit beyond our time, but it's interesting. Um, He had a big dip in form and developed a habit for speaking out in the press, which earned the ire of some supporters, and confessed to not giving 100% under Perran due to his disliking for the French coach. He then influenced the chairman, fellow Serbian Milan Mandaric, um, and apparently was a big factor in the dismissal of Peran and the reappointment of Harry Redknapp. Despite 20 international caps for Serbia, um, Stefanovic caused con- controversy when he said that he would throw away his Serbian passport as soon as he gets his British passport, as he did not feel like a Serb any longer. Oh dear, getting a bit political. I oh. just, you just don't get yeah. that. Not many English players have that kind of rap sheet. Um <laughs> Just got, forgot all about him. Here's another one for you. So you remember this name, and I, I'm undecided on how to pronounce it. I, w- I think it's Darko Kovacovic. Well, that's certainly how mm. I pronounced it back on Championship Manager. Yeah. Modern pronunciation might be Kovacevic, but Kovacovic sounds better. 
He's number 10 on the 50 worst transfers in Premier League history, according to the Times. Famously, David Pleat would bring in Yugoslav striker Darko Kovacovic, but failed to get a tune out of the big striker. I mean, he was rubbish for Chef Wade. Frustratingly, he's then signed for Real Sociedad, where he uh, would succeed, and then go on to play for Juventus and do really well for them. They paid 14 million for him, which back in those... I mean, Shearer was 15 mil... It's just, it's yeah. crazy money, but yeah. Pete couldn't Pete couldn't get anything out of him. So a couple of Sheffield greats there, and actually there is one more, and I think he did get a mention in the podcast. That's Ian Marshall. Yeah, talked oh, about yeah. him playing up front. Um, so Ian Marshall, I think he was referenced when we were talking about Atletico Madrid, which is good because we have here a picture, which we'll of course share on our social media channels on Twitter and what have you, of the program for the Atletico Madrid game. On the front, Ian Marshall eating an enormous paella. <laughs> Do you know what I've noticed as well on the front of the programme? Have you spotted it too? Under the price, £2. Yes, I can see it. I was going to come to that. Pontus Carmock and Janino free colour poster. You would love that. Get that on your wall. We'll get... Has anyone got this programme? Richie needs that. Do you think they're together? <laughs> well, well, I assume it's a picture of them playing in the League Cup final the year before, because Janino at this point is actually playing for Atletico Madrid. Do you think Janino is in Carmock's back pocket in the poster? No. What I am wondering, though, is how it's a free colour poster when you've paid £2 for the programme. Oh, yeah. I take take issue standards. with that. But um, Marshall, I mean, it's not enough that he's on the front he's on the front page of, of the programme. He's also centrefold, again, eating a paella. He's holding these two prawns, which, I mean, they've got more teeth than him. It's ridiculous. We'll post this on social media. It has to be seen to be believed. It's so 90s, it's untrue. Mm, please do. Anyway, over to you, Catch. Yeah. I want to let you know, listener, that we have something extremely special lined up for you at the end of this series. This is, of course, season two of Search of the Shinies. We have got a Gaza special. It's going to be an entire episode dedicated to Gaza. What we've done is everyone we've invited on the podcast, all the players, we've asked them, do you have any Gaza stories? And... 99% of them have 80% are usable and we've harvested <laughs> all of them and we're going to be putting them all together um, and it's just so good honestly I love Gaza stories and all the ones I've heard from these players over the over the series is have I've never heard them before there's some amazing ones mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you any clues because that'll just ruin it it's going to be great and we've also interviewed Gaza's physio at Tottenham in the 90s. So this is the guy, one of the guys who um, ran onto the pitch when his knee went in the 91 FA Cup final. He took Gaza for surgery the next day and, and sat in the operation, rehabbed him, took him over to Lazio. In, and he's incredibly, he's called John Sheridan, which is just brilliantly, I couldn't think of a more 90s name. It's not the John Sheridan, it's Gaza's physio John Sheridan. So we've done some actual interviewing for this special Gaza. I'm calling it a documentary. It's, it's a really you know extensive <laughs> piece of work, just a beautiful collection of Gaza stories. And listener, have you ever met Gaza? Send us your stories. We want to hear of your encounters with Gaza. Send us them in, email us, and contact us via the website, searchingforshinies.com, or you can tweet us or send us a message on Instagram, at the shiny pod. Tell us your Gaza stories. We're going to read the best out on the documentary. Um, <laughs> and like I said, it's honestly, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. I can't even, we, we were in the process of editing this together and I can't remember all of the Gaza stories. So it's going to be a treat 
to listen mm. back to it all in the edit. So yeah. that's going to come right at the end of, of the series. So keep listening to us every Friday, new episodes, and the Gaza special will drop at the end of season two. Like I said at the top of the show, if you know a player from the 1987 book, we could really do with being put in touch with a, with a player from Villa, Blackburn, Coventry, Everton, Liverpool, or Man United. But to be honest, we'll take a player from any club, especially Borough and Newcastle. If you can connect us with those, we'd be buzzing. Hit them up on social media, fan forums, supporter clubs. If you see them in the supermarket, ask them, do you want to keep it shiny? Freak them out. Come on, listen, help us get, you know, help us keep the shiny dream alive. Mm, mm. Uh, you can check our website, searchingforshinies.com. I have scanned the entire 1997 Merlin sticker book there. You see anyone you know, you know where we are. I'm going to do a quick, we've, we've asked a lot of players. We've had a lot of no's. We've interviewed a lot of players. So we're kind of getting down to the, the bare bones now. Here's some of the names we would be interested in speaking to. I'm going to quickly reel them off. Chris Coleman, Jeff Kenner, Henning Berg, Tim Sherwood, Georgius Donis. Uh, they're obviously Blackburn players. Commentary players, Steve Grizovich. God, love to speak to big Steve. David Burrows, Paul Williams, Brian Burrows, Kevin Richardson, Gary McAllister, Paul Telfer. Peter Unlove, oh, we're never going to get him. And another player I've never heard of, Andrew Ducross. I think he's a Scottish player. Never heard of him. David Unsworth, never going to get Unsworth. <laughs> John John Barnes, Jamie Redknapp. That'll be a bit of a stretch. Patrick Berger, Michael Thomas is is who Lee Dixon said Michael Thomas will never do it in a million Tried years. Try him. Uh, Steve McManaman, Stan Collymore would be great. Uh, now into the realms of fantasy, Peter Schmeichel. Do you know Schmikes? Does he fancy coming on the show? Dennis Irwin. Oh, Gary Pallister, Richie. How Schma- much you Schmeichel's, to... Schmeichel's got a book out. He, oh, there you go. Does he, want to promote it, does he want to promote it to 15 people in the Philippines? <laughs> we can hook him up. Get his publisher on the phone. Phil Neville. What's he even up to these days? Nicky Butt. Beckham. <laughs> It'd be incredible. Uh, Beckham. Roy. Oh, Roy Keane would be oh. superb. Paul Scholes, do we want to be associated with Scholesy in the current climate? Probably not. Mm. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he can't be busy. Mm. Um, Eric Cantona, so he's obviously on the front of the book, but Eric Cantona, Giggsy Wigsy, if he fancies coming on, you know, we'd, we'd even speak to Giggsy. That's how desperate we are. <laughs> Spurs, Ian Walker. Oh, Saul Campbell. Saul Campbell would be great. Alan Nielsen. So we need, Alan, Alan Nielsen would be great because we can then you can tell him about that story about... Um, tell him about his trainers. Um, the trainer listener in series one who stole stole his trainers out of a skip. Mm. Again, you need to go back and listen to series one listener if you don't know that story. Clive Wilson, love to speak to Clive. Darren Anderton and Teddy Sheringham. They're, you know, some of the names we haven't tried who we would love to get on the show. Um, enough groveling. Um, actually, no, a little bit more groveling. Do you want to sponsor an episode of Searching for Shinies? Like the good people at Top Draw Fitted Furniture. If you do, you know, contact us. Visit our website, searchingforshinies.com. Click contact, drop us a message. We're very cheap. If anyone's listening from JVC, Mitre Copiers, Draper Tools, we're very, very cheap. And, you know, if you sponsor a team in the 90s, we'll give you an even further discount. Um, <laughs> do you have any random 90s football memorabilia? We still want to receive pictures and stories about these. Um, set, email us them. Tag us on social media with the pictures. We're at the Shiny Pod. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. We need those five-star reviews on iTunes. If we want to reach the heady heights of the top 500 of the Philippines comedy charts, like we did in season one, 
We need those five-star reviews, so get them in. Tell your mates we exist. Old school pals you used to swap stickers with. Maybe you haven't spoken to them since the 90s. Freak them out with a random message and spread the 1997 love. And last but not least, listener, if you do one thing this week, listen to Julian Watts when he says, Keep it shining.